Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus. Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance. And Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine bars without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code SaturnReturns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Today, I am joined by Amy McNee. I discovered Amy on Instagram through my wonderful friend, Africa Brooke. And it kind of arrived or Amy's work arrived at a time in my life where to kind of add a bit more of a personal uh, take I have been doing a creative project that I haven't been really speaking about. It's a music project, which might surprise many of you. And I've always really struggled with putting myself out there in that aspect of sharing myself and that sort of having that creative expression. And so when I discovered Amy's work, I was instantly drawn to it. Now, Amy is a fiction author. She is also a creative coach and she puts a lot of stuff out on Instagram that really speaks to the creative and the creative process about how we struggle with things and these internal dialogues that go on. So when I spoke to her, it was a bit like, as often these episodes are, a bit of a therapy session because it was exactly what I needed. She called me out on a lot of stuff. So my point is the importance of the creative self I've realized is so intertwined with our spiritual practice. I almost view these things as one of the same. It's also my belief that we all have creativity. And when we're young, when we're children, we are very free in our expression of that. We don't fear judgment or ridicule. We just are. We're just playful. We're creative. We're using our imagination all the time. And then it kind of gets beaten out of us as we go into school in a more linear traditional way of thinking and it's more academic and unless it actually becomes what we do in our career we abandon all these aspects of ourselves. and I believe that it's in this process that we feel a lack of connection to ourselves and that that is the gateway for our spiritual path so if you are feeling like something's missing, I would encourage you to 
obviously listen to this episode and then ask yourself what aspects of yourself creatively have you been neglecting and is there something that you can do about that in this episode we touch on some big themes that I think a lot of you will relate to and they really hit me and that is procrastination perfectionism imposter syndrome and burnout and I admit that I oscillate between all of those things but Amy really unpacks what's underneath it and it's so fascinating the way she explains it. I hope you enjoy this fantastic episode with Amy and that it ignites something in you to step out of your comfort zone and be bold enough to embrace your creative path. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy. Amy, welcome to the Saturn Returns podcast. Thank you so much, Kagi. Thank you for having me. Are you joining us from Australia? I am. Some of my last days here in Sydney, Australia, and then I'm coming over to join you. For good? For, we've said like a couple of years. We'll see. Oh, wow. What made you move to Australia? So I've got a funny little life popping around the planet. My parents are just very spontaneous, beautiful adventurers. And so when I was 16, they decided that we would go to Australia and that we would finish my schooling here. And so I did. And then I met my husband. And now I kind of want to I want to go back. And because of the beautiful work that I do as an artist, I can work from wherever I want. And so, yeah, I'm going to go have like a country life where I write in my cottage for a little bit. I love that. I've got to say, though, uh, my I've always maintained my spirit home in, is Australia and oh, Sydney. Tell me and more. Such a strong connection to it. Well, I went when I was, um, I think I was 10 with my family. We went for a month and traveled around and I just fell in love with it. It was honestly like a soul connection. And so I've been many times and I would love to spend a bit more time there at some point. But it is just very, very far. It is. It is so far. Um, yeah, I, I must say, I feel very clingy to Australia and this land right now because I know I'm about to be <laughs> taken from it. It is incredible. Like, this isn't a beautiful place to live. 
I'm excited that you're going to be over here. When do you move? Uh, next week. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Oh. We're in a transitional stage. And how old are you? I am 31. How old are you? I'm th- I'm about to be 34 in oh. a matter of days. Lovely. What are you doing for it? Are you celebrating? I am. I'm one of those people that usually doesn't do anything. And then when the day comes around, I'm like, nobody oh, loves no. me. <laughs> so I'm actually forcing myself to do a dinner. I'm not a very good organizer of things. In fact, like I'm pretty sure I've done what we said before we were recording, which is I've telepathically invited lots of people. I'm not sure whether I actually have or told them what what day it actually yeah. is happening on or where it is or anything like that. So yeah. It's going to come together. You've given off birthday vibes. Like people can feel that you want them to attend <laughs> somehow. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I discovered your work on Instagram and I was re- it was through my friend Africa Brooke. Mm, I love Africa. And I just was like, it's just been very present in my own personal life and kind of viewing the world and people, this kind of idea of creativity, what it means, the hurdles we face, the imposter syndrome, and your like what you put out online and sort of working as a creativity coach, which I would love to kind of understand more of what that entails. I just wanted to speak to you about like the whole process of it all, because I it's my belief that we all have our creative self, but it often gets sort of abandoned or put to the side because it doesn't necessarily necessarily become our job or our career. And often we we disregard that part of us, which I think is actually a really, it's like a spiritual practice as well, creativity in, in many ways. So, it is. It is innate. It is, I think, I truly believe it's what we are here to do. And when we Uh, move away from that or we forget that that is what we're here to do it it can feel like something very very holy and like important is missing yeah Mm. what has your process been like kind of getting into this work so I'm a fiction author by trade so I write historical fiction novels and I have for over a decade now and as I have you know dared to to tell stories um, I was just like, holy fuck, this is, I'm sorry, I did not ask if I could swear. No, you can swear. Okay, great. I am so lonely. This is such a, when we, you know, committing to your creativity and, and deciding to create, it just, it reveals so much of our own insecurities, our own narratives that have been holding us back. It reveals imposter syndrome. Like when we commit to creativity and when we realize that we're here to create, it it also unveils a lot of our own pain and creativity forces us to look at um, some of our darkness. It also reveals a hell of a lot of our light, but I think it does reveal a lot of what is not working for us. And I felt incredibly lonely in this process of trying to make art and trying to be creative and trying to start a business. And I was like, I just, I need support. And so I feel like I kind of became the person that I desperately needed when I was at the beginning of this journey, which was someone to hold me and someone to see me and to someone to have conversations around what it means to be creative and what being creative brings up for most humans. Which is what? I mean, like literally, I cannot, it it brings up everything. And so my job as a creative coach is to look at what the creative is moving through and what it is triggering. Like for me, 
And this is from the perspective of someone who wanted to be a full-time creative. It triggered a huge amount of shame in me because I thought that I wasn't trying to be a real adult. Like I thought I had failed at being an adult because I desperately wanted to be a creative. And, you know, I, was, I had no, very little money at the beginning of this journey. I was in a lot of debt. I was working in cafes, trying to pull together rent. And I was like, everyone else around me is, you know, doing the real adult thing. They're being responsible. They're getting real jobs. They're moving on with their lives and they're doing what's right. And I am here trying to tell stories and I'm delusional and I'm foolish. And all of these narratives were coming up for me. And I just felt, and I still feel triggered sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it still comes up, you know, these narratives take such a long time to deconstruct. But I felt like a child, like I was someone who just couldn't, couldn't properly become an adult because I was so in love with creativity and I refused to live a life that was devoid of it. And so that's my, a lot of my story and a lot of what creativity brought up for me. I can relate so deeply to that. And it was, it's, it's interesting because the way you kind of put it into words, it, I also felt that sense that everyone was filing their life into some sort of meaning and like progressing and getting stable careers and, you know, getting houses and stuff. And I was just there chasing this. I remember someone saying to me, someone very close, being like, stop with all these pie in the sky ideas. And I was like, they're not pie in the sky. But then I also, for me, I was like, am I being delusional? Is creativity not really a, a proper thing to pursue and also we're fed this idea you know the struggling artists like and we're also creative people are given very little education on how to actually craft that into a business and not only that is there's a humongous industry or like all creative industries there's a lot of people that take advantage of the creative yes this is something I want to get into because oh they're like God. okay yes. there's a lot of talent here that I can exploit that I can monetize so we'll sign them into something that they don't fully understand because also they don't have any money to like put their project out into the world. So we'll give them a little bit that they'll think's a huge amount and then we'll sign them up for 10 years and they'll have no autonomy over what they're doing. And it's like, if you actually start unpacking a lot of those industries, it's really quite awful what happens. It's awful. We live in a world where the creative, and it's been like this for a long time, like the creative is just not respected, not given the credit. Like creatives give literally all the light to this world. We make such profound change. We create people's lives. We like decorate people's lives with so much magic. We help people see themselves. We help people feel safe. Like creatives are here doing absolute most, the most generous and vulnerable thing that humans do. And we are constantly manipulated, undermined, not taken seriously, made to feel shame because you know we're being childlike we're dreaming too big um oh you're not properly signed by the right people oh you've got you know the scarcity stories like there's so many narratives that are interwoven in our culture that are there to make creatives stay very very small and as I've realized this through my own journey and through seeing so many creatives come across so many roadblocks that are keeping them small, that are keeping them manipulated, that are keeping them in systems, that are keeping them scared and shy and small. Like I feel like um, I've kind of come into a work where I'm writing about and speaking about how creatives are here to rebel against these systems and they're here to take up space and they're here to make a very, very new space and system for creatives because we can't keep going like this. We have to self-coronate we have to take power we have to take up space without having to negotiate and without having to make ourselves fit into shapes that that we aren't 
And also that's happening at a time where things are more accessible. There is another road that we can go down. And I think people are waking up to that. Do you think that there's, what is the intention you think behind, if there is one, behind keeping creatives kind of small? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. Um, And I think about this a lot, like why we're the best, like we are here doing such incredible stuff, like why keep us small? And I think um, if you look at like, I mean, you could get really nitty gritty into it, like the industrialist kind of world that we've lived in with like the nine to five, like corporate stuff, like keeping people in the, you know, keeping people in systems. So, you know, you go into a job, you stay in that job for a certain amount of time. There are levels that you can go up, but you can't kind of deviate from that system. Whereas the creative um, goes a whole new route and takes up space in their own way. And in I feel like rebels against the industrialist and you, some argue even like that capitalist way, a system that we're living in. Uh, we're doing mm-hmm. something different. We're not playing the rules that we've been told. I mean, you think about how much shame creatives feel for wanting to make art and for wanting to do something different. Like there's clearly narratives here that are being fed to us that are saying, don't step out of line. Like, why can't you just do what the other adults are doing? And it's interesting that we threaten people in such a way. What do you think? Like, why do you think we threaten them? I don't know. It's just coming to my awareness fully because I think as a, you know, my whole life, I've I've always been a very creative person in various mediums and the pain that I've experienced because of that because I think also in twofold like one creative people tend to be very sensitive and you know they're quite vulnerable to the world in a way because they're experiencing everything on a very deep level but that's the beauty is they can alchemize that and put it into something beautiful and kind of transmute it but the the struggle I felt to put stuff out into the world to have the courage. I would say it kind of stems from the fact that I wasn't brought up in a creative fact, like my family's not very creative. So for me, it always felt like that made me the black sheep. And I kind of kept in, like, I always kept that side of myself quite hidden because I was like, it was so innate, but it wasn't, it wasn't pulled out of me. It wasn't drawn out. It wasn't like, you know, let's all kind of sit around the fire and sing. That's But I yearned for that. And so I kept that part of me very, very private to the extent where I wasn't able to sing in front of anyone. I wrote poetry my whole life, but I never, never shared it with anyone. I, I still very rarely do because it was like my most vulnerable part of myself so that was more like on a personal level but now like moving through the world and see and being able to put things out but seeing the sort of challenges and the roadblocks along the way that are both sort of internal and external I think that it's just you know like you say these systems that are around profit and people performing in a certain way and staying in line means that it's not it's not beneficial to those systems to empower the individual but i do f- feel that that's shifting because you know things being more accessible you can actually create your own community and bring something directly to them so i wanted to talk to you about that about like this process of self publishing what has that whole experience been like because you know i know for many authors or writers it's like and same for the music industry it's like when you're signed you're accepted 
gifted and you've made it. And that is the biggest misconception because I know so many artists that got signed and then got shelved and never were able to put out music. They got in horrible deals and it was just a mess. But then the sort of idea of self-releasing or self-publishing gets kind of shunned as like, oh, well, you haven't really been. You haven't really done it. Yeah. Yeah. And what's that about? My gosh, it's so interesting. I mean, I mean, there's so much to dive into here. This is a really big topic and we have to talk about it because as you said, like the system is changing and these stories are slowly but surely dying. We have to awaken to the fact that we've been sold a narrative that says um, artists will only make it if they are chosen. We have to have external validation first in order for us to thrive. We have to be picked by somebody else in order to get permission to take up space and creatives who self-give permission and just take up space without permission, they're not legitimate. They haven't been picked um, and we're not to take them as seriously. Like, And that's still very much part of this, the stories that we have today. Like, I am regularly taken, not taken seriously because I'm self-published, no matter how well my self-published books do, no matter how incredible the community I've created is, there's still that really strong narrative of you have to be picked. But for me, literally the most empowering thing I've ever done is chosen myself. And I think choosing myself before anybody else could choose me has paved the way for an incredible creative career for me. I had to pick me before anyone else could pick me. And my validation came before anyone else's. But what does that mean to you when you say I had to pick me? Like, what does that actually mean in a spiritual internal sense, but also like how that manifested in what you did, what actions you took? I mean, in a very practical sense, I chose to self-publish and, you know, I had applied to gatekeepers and I had been in negotiations with gatekeepers and I had been continually rejected by gatekeepers. And I kept, you know, I was growing an incredible community online and I kept being like told by, you know, kin, by family, well, by my partner, maybe you should self-publish. You have an audience here that you could pu- publish to. And I was like, no, oh, that's not legit. No, I can't do that. I shut yeah. on it for so many years, Kathy. Like I hated it. I was like, shut. And it made me really angry. I was like, why won't someone just see me? And I think the, the pain of the creative so often is I want to be understood. I want to be seen. Can someone please just fucking see me and understand me? Like I have something incredible to give. And when most creatives were in this cycle of rejection over and over again, because we're told this is the only part to get success, to be witnessed, to be understood. We have to be picked in order to be understood. But I think in a way, I was rejecting myself every single time I chose not to self-publish. I was not understanding myself. I was not seeing myself every time I chose not to self-publish. And so I spiraled into this incredibly depressed, um, and I was already really struggling with my mental health. Um, Like I was I wasn't giving myself the credit I deserved and nor was anybody else. And I I hit a point where I was like, well, if I'm not going to pick me, why would anyone else pick me? Like I have to back myself. I do see myself. I see my worth. I know I'm a fucking fantastic storyteller. And so, you know, picking myself, like I call it like coronating myself. I chose to self-publish my books and it came with a huge amount of narratives that were very challenging for me to negotiate, but I did choose myself. And in a smaller way, like I choose myself every single time I choose to show up and share something on social media. Yeah, I choose myself right now as I choose to take up space and speak to you. Like we can choose ourselves in small ways each day. But the big one for me was for p- publishing my first book and saying, well, I don't need you to pick me in order to take up space and thrive as an artist because this world is changing rapidly. Mm. We are in a different culture and the gatekeeping systems need to start noticing that. And they will, but it's taking their time. Not only notice, but also like 
the the scaffolding of that is kind of disintegrating a little yeah, bit. Yeah, good. That, you know, there shouldn't be this access point. I kind of described it when I wrote my book, not in this context. It was more in the context of like when I was trying to put out music and stuff. Yeah. And I felt like I was waiting at the gates to be let into my fate you know, and that there were these gatekeepers kind of saying, we don't get it. We don't see it. And like you say, just desperately wanting to be seen. And often with creatives, like so important to know that your vision is uniquely your own. And if, and when it hasn't been materialized yet, don't be disheartened that someone else cannot see it. Like if someone else is like, oh, I don't get it, or that wouldn't work, or you need to do this, or need to do that. Like, no trust that your vision has chosen you mm. but it's having that courage to actually put it out to the and world back it. and back it because that's the thing is what well. I think a lot of creatives like they might put stuff out of it and they th- then don't know how to like mm. sell it you know I I'm so many creatives I witness who are apologetically taking up space. They're like, mm. I've got some new music and I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you with this piece. Like, I, I don't want to take up too much space on your feed. Like, I'm so sorry, but I did make this. Would you like, you don't have to, would you? I'm so sorry if you hate it. <laughs> and it's like, and it's, you know, again, and like I totally resonate with this because what you're doing is so fucking vulnerable to put yourself out there, to put a little part of your soul out there in the form of your art, but it doesn't work and you deserve more. Mm. And you're also going against a whole system. So you're kind of, you feel like you're speaking to this mountain of being like, I built this little hill. <laughs> what do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know. I love us. I love what we're doing here because I think it is revolutionary. I think when we pick ourselves and when we take up space, and it doesn't mean you have to avoid gatekeepers. Like, I think going gatekeeper groups is a very, like, you know, it's still a, a way to go. I, I'm not judging it in any way, but I think the when we self, pick ourselves, whether that be self-publishing or even just taking up space on social media, like I love us for doing that because we're reclaiming power, we're reclaiming agency and we're picking ourselves and we're seeing ourselves. And every time we do it, we're saying to ourselves, I have value, witness me, understand me. And we're trying to find that audience who can. Mm. And also when you do it, you you sort of are the example for others to do Oh my same. God. And that's a beautiful part. Like I always try and remind creatives of that. I'm like, when you show up, when you try to sell your art or when you just generously, you know, just share because you want to share, you lead the way. You, you, you're you leading a part of this revolution of art, of creatives taking up space and, and giving self, giving permission. How have you found it in terms of the process have you ever found it lonely? Because I know like creativity can be quite a lonely path. And one of the advantages of having, you know, going a more traditional route, let's mm. say, is you have a team and more of a support yeah. system and you are doing it quite independently. It's like you and the voices in your head and you have to be mindful to give yourself those acknowledgements and those moments and congratulate yourself on your achievement rather than just berating, which is, con- you know, can be a constant yeah so what's happening to you um yeah so I this was my biggest excuse when people were like you should self-publish I was like well I want a team I want to be supported I want to be held and what I was saying was I want to be seen again like I just want to be seen I want to be understood and I want to have a team that helps me so that was my big excuse for a very long time and I had what I was ignoring and I think a lot of the of the time that excuse was 
an excuse not to pick myself. Like I was afraid, I was upset that I hadn't been picked and I was afraid to pick myself because in reality, um, I had the means to get a team. And I think the reality is, is that it doesn't have to be a lonely process, um, like exclusively, like there are ways to get help and support in a very practical sense as you move through this process of self-anointing, self-choosing. Like I, you know, had an editor. I had someone who helped me do all the boring crap of like figuring out my books. Like I co-collaborated with, um, you know, a book cover designer. Like there were so many people on this journey with me who supported me and helped me. We do not have to do this alone. And choosing to go it alone doesn't mean that you are on your own and you, we deserve support teams. And this comes with, you know, an element of, of, of financial privilege because I had money to invest in my team. But there were some things that I did that were, that weren't financially expensive for me. And, it, and I, I chose to do it because I knew I deserved, my, my book deserved to have people back up, backing up around it and saying, yeah, this is good. Let's get it now. And it didn't require being chosen for me to find that. Like I went and I said, will you help, will you help me? And I deserved it. How did you seek those people out? Because I think, again, mm-hmm. it's like that's the traditional routes that people think are the only routes. And when yes. you're doing something differently, it's like, okay, well, how, yeah. how do you go about that? The, it feels world like is just, it's, the world is so exciting. And like when I, like there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about as creatives that can feel very like down in the dumps. But honestly, there has never, ever been a more exciting time for creatives. Like this is our era. It's our renaissance. I'm so excited for us. There is so many new things happening out there for us. There's editors, like if we're speaking specifically for authors right here, there are freelance editors all around the place. And I looked up, like my book was like a very raunchy, um, it was, um, had a lot of like, it had a lot of gay relationships in it and it was about the church and it was very, and so I went and found an incredible gay, um, editor who had grown up in the Catholic church, who had so much information that was directly linked to my book. And wow. she edited my book and they're just online. And in terms of like the practicalities of getting my book on, you know, in Amazon and blah, 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 there's people to do it. You can just search like, um, my one, I'll give her a shout out. Her name's Linda and she's from Book Boffin. And this is her job. She just helps self-published authors get there, but she does all the boring stuff for you. She booked my audiobook stuff. She set up my, you know, my recording, everything. She got everything done. Um, and there's a really cool resource for, in fact, it's a really good resource in general. Crap, am I going to be able to remember it, what it's called? To find um, illustrators for book covers, to find editors. Oh, why is it always... I just, my memory at the moment. Right. It's a really, really good resource. I'll send it to you um, if I remember it after the podcast. But there's so much stuff out there. There's so many ways that you can get support without having been picked. Mm. How liberating was that for you when you actually started bringing the team together and bringing the project to life? Like, what did that feel like? Really vulnerable. I won't lie. And I think having people support me as someone who, this is the first time I did it. Like I was like, you know, I think, you know, I was still working through a lot of having just picked myself, but I was like, oh, are they going to take me seriously? I was very worried that I would not be treated properly because I hadn't been picked by a proper gatekeeper. Um, So it was a very nerve wracking process for me. But as soon as I got to know them and had relationships with them and they back me so hard and they love my book so much. Um, and as I saw that, I, I just learned to trust and it was very relieving 
And I also felt a little bit coy, I think, because I was like, my excuse for such a long time for not self-publishing was, oh, no, I want a team and I'm not going to be able to get a team. And I, mm, then I had this incredible so team. Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> no, I, I'm like so supported. Um, yeah. And in terms of the coaching side, yeah, what do those people come to you if there is like a common thread? Yeah, there is, definitely. And what is that? Procrastination, perfectionism, imposter syndrome. Ah! <laughs> also, also burnout. Um, yeah. So being a creative coach, like I, I work with all forms of creatives, all forms of artists. I do nothing really at all about like the craft. Like I'm not out here teaching writing. I'm not out here teaching anything other than the the crap that we just come up against as creatives. And the big four are perfectionism, procrastination, imposter syndrome, and burnout. And they're all very interlinked. Yeah. Well, let's unpack that because <laughs> I definitely have do all of those things. How and you said that they're interlinked, like from your experience, how do they intertwine and interact with each other? Of course. Perfectionism and procrastination nearly always go hand in hand because when we have standards for ourselves that are impossible, it is incredibly hard for us to show up for ourselves. Um, so when we ask ourselves to make perfect art, the chances are is we're going to find it very difficult to show up in a consistent pattern. So that's often how perfectionism and procrastination interweave but they also they like they're very similar topics I've written a both a book on both of them and um they are distinct obviously but they they just keep coming into play with each other um imposter syndrome again is going to be <laughs> incredibly linked with perfectionism because I the fear of being found out the fear of being a fraud the fear of someone discovering that you're not enough again is linked to this idea that you should be more this perfectionism idea that um you're not enough that it should be in another way that I have to be this way in order to be loved I have to meet this standard in order to find success um and the imposter syndrome is that always that fear of I'm I'm not perfect and someone is going to discover it um so they yes. are very interlinked there. And again, if you're battling narratives like this, if every time you show up to the page, you're thinking, this isn't good enough. You know, it's just so hard to create when you have an inner critic that loud and that demoralizing. And then all three of them, of course, lead straight to burnout because creating while you're battling those sorts of narratives and that violent yeah. inner critic will exhaust you. Procrastination will exhaust you. And everybody always says, oh, I haven't even been creating, you know, how can I be burnt out? I haven't done anything. All I've been doing is procrastinating. Procrastinating is like, I swear to God, 10 times more exhausting than creating itself. Procrastinating is exhausting. And if you're in a bad pattern of it, you will burn out. It's just too hard to keep that up. How do you help people get through procrastination? Procrastination, from what I've seen and what I've, I've experienced with myself, is a trust issue. You don't trust yourself. And Ooh. rebuilding trust, very baby steps each day in small ways has been the only way I've really seen like relationships with self-repair. You don't trust yourself to show up. And that is so painful because it's you. I often have this like, um, like little metaphor talking about like if you had a friend and you were like, let's meet up for coffee. And they just didn't show up. You'd be like, what? Why? And then if you did it again, and they didn't show up, you'd be like, okay, well, like, 
you better have a good excuse. They might have a good excuse. You know, you could give them a lot of rope. You could give them 10 times. Okay, I'm going to meet you up for coffee. At the 10th time, you're probably going to be like, well, I'm not really going to make coffee plans with you ever again, am I? Because this is fucked. But the problem is, is that you can't like break the relationship with yourself. You're always with you. Like you can break off relationships with flaky friends, but you can't break off a relationship with your flaky you. And it comes to such, it makes for such a difficult lived experience because you do not trust your own word and retrusting it and showing that you can show up for yourself, showing that you can show up for your own art um, happens slowly. It happens in really, really small um, expressions of action. Um, Like what? I think this is how it interlinks with perfectionism. The perfectionist says, oh my God, I've been procrastinating so much. So I'm going to show up five hours tomorrow. I'm just going <laughs> to write my book. Okay. I'm just going to write it. It's going to, I'm going to do like 3000 to 5,000 words. And then you show up and you don't do it. And then you've betrayed yourself again, right? It's a, it's a pattern of self-betrayal. And then you're like, well, I don't trust myself. Okay. Okay. Well then tomorrow. And you get really big and, you know, chemical rushes when you promise yourself big things. So it feels really good in the, in the moment. I'm going to show up tomorrow and I'm going to do it even bigger this time because I fucked up so many times in the past. And again, this pattern of betrayal just keeps happening. We have to baby ourselves. Like if you in a, and it, and it really hurts the ego, but I'm talking about, I want you to show up for five minutes tomorrow. And I want you to look at the document you're working on. And I just want you to write a sentence. Then I want you to do it the next day too. I want you to do it three to four times a week. And once you've done that, you're going to have proved to yourself that you can show up. And then I want you to very, very slowly increase it. We mm-hmm. ask so much from ourselves and we are constantly setting ourselves up for failure and self-betrayal. And we could just do loads less and still be very successful. And we could fulfill promises and we could repair relationship with ourselves. I think a couple of things that I want to touch on within that. And one is, you know, we want to say yes to all the things whilst also doing the creativity. And I'm no, I'm guilty of being like, yes, I'll, I'll write five hours of this that day. And when I was doing the book, I would do that. And I would constantly Mm -hmm. set myself up for failure. And I, I did burn out because I was trying to, manage everything else and maintain my relationships and show up in that way and then not carving out enough time for me and I do feel that I'm probably still slightly guilty of not actually giving myself targets that are achievable so I never get that sense of satisfaction so I wanted to kind of unpack like because a big thing here is really boundaries right yeah you need being able to say no Yes, especially if you're a people pleaser and so many creatives are. We're so sensitive because we're so, I think we're so sensitive. (laughs) We're so attuned to what's going on in our world. Like, I don't know, it feels like we have like a softer, more permeable membrane between us and what's going on outside. And it allows us to alchemize our world into art. But it also means that we're very sensitive to what's happening in other people's lives and what's happening around us. I think so many of us are people pleasers. And that means that um, it's very easy for us to deprioritize art at a rapid rate when people ask us from things. And no one's going to ask us to write our books. No one's going to ask us to do our art. And we have to ask us to do our art. And again, that's that trusting, like, you know, not only do we not trust ourselves, we're not prioritizing ourselves and our our relationship with ourselves just deteriorates and deteriorates and deteriorates when we don't prioritize these things. And it's so Mm. painful. That piece around 
prior not just prioritizing ourselves but prioritizing our creativity really kind of hits me because I think that like even when I've got when I've had really important whether it's literal work creativity or mm. just like something I really want to do it's do. always yeah. the bottom of the pile and it always gets kind of shoved down and I think for people listening whether or not you're actually pursuing a creative career I believe that actually like accessing our creative self is so important for our overall well-being neglected it's so important okay we we just we're here to make and in so many different ways like we're here to turn nothing into something it's just like I just feel like it's what humans are here to do like if you watch what you're doing throughout the day we're just making we're creating that's why we're here and again, like when we deprive ourselves of that, when we deprioritize that, when we say this isn't important, we're saying I'm not important and my purpose of being here isn't important. Mm. I think it's really, I think it's more serious than we realize. Um, yeah, I can't even fathom say, like even the idea of thinking or saying to myself, like this takes priority because it's important to me, makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Sick, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just, it's a big big sign that that's your work Haggy. like that's so important for you and I understand like you haven't been taught to prioritize that like none of us have but I've like shamed my creativity yeah yeah I mean and it'd be interesting to like explore why um shame and creativity just so frequently go hand in hand it's so interesting and I'm just I'm very interested as to why this has happened to us because it is so deeply sad and I think about all the art that we haven't seen I think about all the art we haven't seen from you Kangi because you keep deprioritizing it and it is literally heartbreaking like the stuff that you won't be able to make or won't be able to give people because you keep betraying yourself and betraying us inadvertently by deprioritizing this (laughs) oh my god (laughs) you know I actually had someone I had someone send me a message not like a few months ago and she just was like I've just felt this random call to message you and I just wanted to say she was like why aren't you releasing more music and I was like um I just find it quite hard and I've got a lot of things going on and probably and she was like okay I'm just gonna say this she was like you because you feel it needs to be perfect aren't putting it out to the world but you're actually being really selfish in that because you're deprived people that get a lot of joy out of it and she was like it's your imperfection that connects with people it's not the fact that it has to be this like fully because I think that's the thing that gets in the way for me and I'm sure for a lot of people it's like you I want to put things out into the world but I also want to avoid criticism I don't want anyone to tell me that it's awful or that it's shit and I think because I've had to navigate that and all creatives do because there's people shame creatives they do they criticize like there's so many people out there and also the industry is kind of built on this like as soon as you put it out you're going to be reviewed and it's going to be assessed and you're going to be judged so that's a very real thing that for a very sensitive person to have to endure feels too bloody painful yeah this is this is why so many of us are perfectionists, because not only we have to be sensitive in order to be artists, but in order to be artists, we have to withstand criticism. We have to withstand being misunderstood. And there's no getting around this. And I'm, I don't 
want to modicoddle any artist and say, oh, you know, it's not that bad. Like people will misunderstand you. I had a post that went viral like the last few weeks and the audience, like it's millions and millions of people have seen it. And it's, I've been so <laughs> deeply misunderstood and trying to cultivate a sense of safety as I am being misunderstood has been such an incredibly important practice for me because I'm an artist and I'm going to be misunderstood. I am also in so many ways seen and understood by so many people. And it is such a fucking delight to be witnessed in that way. But I am also going to be misunderstood. And how do we create a sense of safety when this happens? So how do, how do I make sure that my body feels safe when I'm misunderstood? How do I make sure I mentally process it? Like I'm a, I have very thin skin. Like I've cried and I'm allowed to cry. And that's good. I can process it. Like I can make sure that I'm not trying to squish any feelings. Like I'm allowed to feel all these feelings of being misunderstood of like some outrageous criticism. Um, but how can I make sure that I, at the end of the day, still say, well, I, it doesn't really matter. I'm still going to make stuff. I'm still going to write. I'm still going to show up. And that's been cultivating a practice for me that has meant that perfectionism has no fucking place in my life because Perfect art is incredibly selfish. The pursuit of perfect art is incredibly selfish. And I have no desire to go back into that pattern of creation. So I've got to make sure that I'm okay with what happens when I am misunderstood. And what did that, do you mind me asking, what no, was the thought that was misunderstood and how <laughs> and how was it misunderstood? Oh, it's just so silly. Like, I guess because so much of my work that I share online, it's um like very uh, distilled thoughts that have come from much larger thoughts and often the nuance is missed. It was talking about how creatives don't always need to be visible on social media. And um, people came to me saying that I am basically like hamstringing creatives and that I'm, um, <laughs> honestly, some of it was nuts, that I'm basically making creatives be poor, that creatives, if they listen to this message, that they're going to be, you know, deeply harmed and that I'm promoting people to stay hidden and that I'm basically giving permission for creatives to never be witnessed. And like people have oh, made, you know, like long posts about how this is like toxic to the creative world. And like, you know, it's, it's fucking nuts. And like, no, eventually, no. like, well, this is just LOL, like hilarious because I, I knew and I backed myself. I knew that what I was, that wasn't what I was saying, obviously. Um, but I still had to go through the process of making sure that I felt safe being misunderstood. I think the, the weird sort of good thing about the fact that that is the world that we live in, that people can go off on one to someone that's clearly trying like making a like positive my whole impact. life is about making creatives feel seen that <laughs> <laughs> that just in a weird way it's kind of like it's easier because you realize how ridiculous it yeah. is and it was like, so before, stupid just one like very articulated kind of piece that was a criticism it might feel a bit more jarring but when it's just so it's just so many people that are clearly quite like unhinged just just project their own shit whoever they can and 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 guising it as like virtuous it's like don't even don't even let that penetrate you feel yeah and it's interesting like that experience has been great for me like it has honestly been great for me it's just it's reminded me of my strength it's reminded me of how much I see me myself um but similar things like you know People, some people really don't like my books, Kanki. Like some people really don't like them because they literally just think it's a bad book. And like getting okay with that. 
Yeah, because the sort of paradoxical thing about that is as someone that really tried to be for everyone for a big part of (laughs) my life, when I then realized that I actually had no idea who I was because I'd been shaped so much. To be anchored and grounded in one version of me and then be disliked for that. It's this weird sort of bittersweet victory because you're like, oh, that feels uncomfortable, but also at least I like me. Yes. I'm actually doing something for me now, not for everybody else. I think this is where the power of picking yourself first actually comes into play because I already picked myself. Like if I had been picked by a gatekeeper and then I had to come to terms with people hating my book, I'd never have picked myself. I never backed myself. And so I'm trying to always go off external validation. And so having this kind of um, starting point or foundation of this all began because I chose me and I said, I see you and I think you have something really fucking cool to give the world. And having that as my foundation really helps me um, because I'm not constantly relying on that external validation. And it took a long time to get there, like a long time. And it was an incredible amount of inner work and mental health work and spiritual work. Um, but it set me up to a place where I can handle it and I'm okay with being misinterpreted and again like I will cry about it that doesn't mean I'm not okay yeah I think that's an important distinction it's not like you you've suddenly become not impacted yeah and what about the ego and how that kind of plays into this whole process because that can be a tricky fucker (laughs) (laughs) well the ego is and again the ego and perfectionism are just the besties right like that I yeah it's it's a lot like it it infiltrates a lot of places you've got to have them in check because they could rule the show especially and interestingly after success um and I was having a really big discussion the other day about what people fear about success. And, and I often see in creatives that much more than fearing failure, people are fucking terrified yes. of success. And one of the big mm-hmm. fears is I'm afraid that I'm going to get really carried away with my success and my ego is going to rule the show. And I think it's a really interesting fear and people are not going to like me and I'm going to be a dick and all of a sudden success is going to change me and my ego is just going to go out of control. It's a real fear that people have. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Like Why? I also think there's, I've sort of analyzed that and I, I feel that the fear of success also lies in the fact that there's a safety and a familiarity in like where you're at. And if you up level to a place of success, you then have to maintain that because you know that there's a floor that's lower and you don't want to go back. Yeah, that's really hard. With creativity as well, it's, you're only as good as your last project. You have to keep creating and so you, you know, when you start getting that success to the momentum, keep the momentum, and then people are like, would rather sort of avoid beginning. They would avoid that, yeah, yeah. The lists of people's fears around success were super interesting, and I think a lot of them were ego related. Um, what if my second project isn't as successful as my first? Um, you know, well, I would have to not play small anymore if I was successful. Um, people find, you know failure weirdly comforting because it means that they can give up and yeah it's interesting how triggering success can be and also how little we talk about it like we're always talking about how to prevent failure and how to manage failure and how to move through failure and of course it's a really important conversation but there's just no one out there prepping for success and like there's a lot of prep to do (laughs) 
there's yeah on like how to manage success yeah and you see how many creative people like can't handle it really yeah exactly there's a lot of work to to do I think to live an abundant creative life and I mean like abundant as in like successful but like joyful because I think a lot of people can like kind of like jackhammer their way to creative success but they're very unhappy and again they're on this like kind of addictive train of needing more and more external validation and that trying to keep up momentum the exhaustion the burnout I've got to keep going what if this next one isn't as good one what if I fall back to there like it's exhausting and I don't want to to be that sort of successful creative at all um and but so doing the work beforehand and doing the work during this journey is like in my opinion crucial and not often spoken about well I guess it, it ties into that pick me energy doesn't it as well yeah yeah, so yeah. Dance between you know we do as artists obviously crave being seen and we need a degree of external validation to actually have that success and, yeah. and you know have it be brought to life but we also if that's out of balance with like seeing ourselves it will also be destructive even if from the outside eye you're killing it yeah it's perfectly said there's a balance that needs to be kept yeah how do you sort of maintain that balance now I journal like journaling is at the root of all of everything I do and it's this dialogue with myself and it is like a, like it's literally just me on the pages with me chatting through things talking through narratives rewriting narratives um like everything changed for me I was incredibly incredibly depressed I had just gotten fired I was in like tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt um I was in deep shame because I thought that I was so childlike for wanting to be a creative and I decided well fuck this I've got no job I'm just gonna try and journal each morning and I took myself out wrapped up more credit card debt with a coffee on the card and I journaled every day and I've journaled every single day of my life since that day it was like five years ago a few days ago and everything changed from that point because I could witness the stories I was telling myself And I could witness my inner critic and, you know, like just reading what I wrote to myself on the page. Like I just let my inner critic like take the pen. Because I was going to say, you put up something recently about, you know, people ask, people often like, how do you journal? You know, how do you begin journaling? Is there a particular process or way that you go about it? I just journal like an A4 page. Um, So it's like enough so that I can get through some bullshit, but not too much that it's intimidating. And I literally just transcribe what's happening in my mind at the time. So it's often just like at the beginning, it's just like the most random things like, oh, I slept like this. Oh, this pen isn't working very well. Oh, James is really annoying me, blah, blah, blah. And then slowly I'll just see what's happening. And eventually it will just start pouring out what's what's actually underneath all of this. And then at the end, I do this practice that I call mothering myself. And it's like this higher voice. And I just treat myself like a fucking precious little treasure. And this voice, I credit to a lot of this changing of the narratives. Like, so I'd witnessed my inner critic at the beginning of this journey. And it was just disgusting. Kagi. Like I reread some of it and it was like, I was so, so cruel to myself. And I was like, you're a piece of shit. You're so lazy. You've got so much debt. You're, you know, and then at the end, I just chose 
to like just take care of myself and this voice would be like oh my god baby you're doing so well and I'm so proud of you and I know this is really hard just receiving so many stories that this is not enough that wanting to be creative is delusional but I believe in you and I'm so proud of you and I believe that we've got this and it's very soft language it's like a reparenting technique essentially and I just got my little inner child who was just having a major fucking freak out because she thought that she'd done everything wrong just like taking her in my arms and telling her that she hadn't done anything wrong at all and that she like was doing everything right and that she was chasing something so innate in her and that she was going to and that woman you know that woman who was so sure everything she was doing was wrong let me here today where I'm like moving to a fucking English cottage where I'm gonna write my novels you know I, I just bought a mini like who is it like I she got me here you know and it was through the pages that she got me here because I rewrote narratives that were suffocating me that is so powerful thank you so much for sharing that that's like the most that's the thing it's like we have all we need it's just getting the tools yeah it really for me all my work or that like when I do creative coaching with my membership like I use journaling because I just feel like getting to witness the way you speak to yourself on the page. Like I think too many of us are walking around completely unknowing about what dick we're being to ourselves in our own heads because we're so used to it. Yeah. And actually seeing stuff on the page and being like able to explore and get curious around what's happening is revolutionary and it changed my life. Yeah. Because also I think the, you know, the themes that we mentioned of the procrastination, the burnout, the perfection all intertwined in in that inner critic but because like you say we walk around having conversations being polite to other people and then being like why do I feel so exhausted why was I not able to do anything productive today and it's like we don't acknowledge the way we're actually communicating to ourselves it's incredibly confronting but also a cathartic thing because then you can start that dialogue of reparenting but you can only do that when you're really brutally honest with yourself yes And I like that you call it dialogue because it has to be a dialogue. And a lot of people I know, like I'm journaling, I'm writing all my bad thoughts on the page, but I'm like, well, you got to do something else. You can't just write the bad thoughts. There has to be an alchemization here because you'll just keep buying into it. You'll just keep believing it if it's all that you let out. Um, There has to be a rewrite. And the rewrite is uncomfy. Like you might not feel so great about it because you won't be buying into it yet. But Mm -hmm. this is the magic. This is literally rewriting neural pathways. This is your new life on the pages before the process has to be slow and steady and I think we we live in a world where we love a quick fix we love a like spiritual bypass and just get to that point it's like no this is about the daily discipline and kind of over time creating those solid foundations a hundred percent and I think when I you ask me, a lot of work to do that, I'm like, I feel like you should be my coach because all the kind of creativity stuff, and you're like, you haven't put stuff out. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and I can't, you know what I do as well? I'll like get 90% of something done and then tell myself every reason why I can't do that final 10% right now. And then we'll just, honestly, it's like madness, the things that I sit on because I'm like, oh, it's just not the right time. Or, oh no, I can't find, I don't know who to mix, who's going to mix this mix project. It, yeah. so I can't do it right now. And like, yeah, it's, it's bad. I want to say a few things. First of all, that 90% thing is really, really fucking rife. The, the, Oh, I'm not, I'm done, but I'm not quite done. So I'll just put it aside. Like, fuck. (laughs) And so I want to say that like, I have, this is 
why like being a creative is the most vulnerable job and even though I feel like we can feel this pressure of oh I've I'm, I'm got so many stories and narratives to work through like we have to work through them with like the craziest amount of compassion and again that's why I use that mothering voice like right now I would like scoop up your inner child and be like oh my gosh, you're doing so well. And I know you've got all these things you want to do. Um, and that's so exciting. And we're going to get to them. But I just want you to take like a really deep breath and just know that I'm already so proud of you. Like making sure that even when we get really excited and overstimulated and like, oh my God, we've got to go. We've been fucking around for too long that we bring that kind of central nervous system to a relaxed place and remind ourselves that we're already enough. We don't have to prove ourselves and that we're already doing so well. Uh, that's such a good reminder and I think so important for our audience listening I think that's a beautiful place to end is there any kind of other if, you know I think there's been so much wisdom and yeah guidance in this conversation but is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with oh no that was I think that was a beautiful place to leave it like you're already doing so well <laughs> I think it was well thank you so much Amy for joining my absolute pleasure thank you I hope you enjoyed this conversation between myself and Amy. Some of my takeaways from it were, you know, this conditioning, this societal belief that creatives aren't going to be successful or that it's not a real job. And if we kind of step away from that conventional nine to five, what does that what does that mean and what does that look like? But also how this is intertwined in the liberation of choosing ourselves and walking our own path. Regardless of whether you consider yourself a creative person, I think we all have to face our own inner critic from time to time. And what I found helpful about this conversation is it's in recognizing that we all have it. And that's why Amy's work is so powerful, because she just gives these really, to the point, direct notes on the things that I think we're often thinking, but perhaps they're not fully in our awareness because they're just spiraling in our own heads. And we often think that we're the only ones that think or doubt or feel that way. But actually, it's part of the creative process. I hope this conversation has inspired you. I found it incredibly inspiring. And I'm actually going to be meeting up with Amy because I think she was like, okay, you've got some some shit you need to get through. So watch this space, everyone. I hope that I, you know, get out of my own way and... I deal with my own BS so that I can actually bring you guys more creativity and I hope that you will do the same. If you enjoyed this episode, I would absolutely love it if you could spend a minute, half a minute and go and write us a review on Apple. I personally love reading them. If that's not enough of a reason, it also helps us get discovered by like-minded people And the more we grow this podcast, the better and bigger our guests can be so we can continue to bring wisdom and joy into your ears every week. So please do that. And thank you very much for listening. And as always, remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. Goodbye.